While Bitcoin is decentralized, it is not anonymous. Many crypto enthusiasts believe privacy is of paramount importance. And that's why we're happy to bring you today's conversation with Ricardo Spagni, lead maintainer for privacy coin Monero. Rick has many things to say about the history and the future of this coin. Of course, his friends know him as Fluffy Pony. So you know that's going to make for a fun interview. Uh, we're public figures, but we'd like to keep some things private. And today, you'll learn how to keep your crypto transactions private on episode number 353 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, ignition. Who's bad? And greetings, friends. Welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast. We are now officially in the first week of the year. And before you know it, it'll be Christmas soon already. <laughs> Only 338 more shopping days left until Christmas, folks. Yeah, so you better get it done. Start looking for those Black Friday specials. <laughs> Got a great show for you today. I'm Joel Com. That's Travis Wright, and we will be interviewing one fluffy pony. We've wanted uh, Mr. Pony on the show for quite some time. Yeah, I'm a big fan, you know, of money in general. It's good. It helps you pay bills and stuff. And I really like Monero because it's private and it's crypto. And it's good. We've actually wanted to chat about the you said we wanted to chat with this guy for a long time, and it's it's a really solid interview. And uh, we'll get to that right after we chat about eToro real quick. If you want to excel in the cryptocurrency market, you need to have the best trading app. And that's why I want to tell you about eToro. If you've been listening to the show, you've heard about it. So you want to access the world's best cryptos and you want to be able to trade fast and, and connect with other traders who are doing very well and watch what they're doing. Well, go to badco.in forward slash eToro and you can build a great portfolio over there, which is a few clicks of the smartphone go tap it tap it tap and uh if you go into the link that we just told you badco.in forward slash etoro deposit 50 bucks buy some crypto send us an email we'll send you 25 dollars in bitcoin for doing it so go do it why are you not doing it are you why are you still listening go ahead and press pause go do it right now and then come tip tap tippity tap tip tap tippity tap tippity 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 tap all right, that's all I got. All but uh, well, I got that, and I got me a fluffy pony. Here he is. When we talk about privacy coins, the first name that comes to mind for most crypto enthusiasts is Monero, a true privacy coin. And finally, at long last, we have with us a key member of the Monero core team, a steward of the Monero project, and a lead maintain maintainer of those projects. His name is Ricardo Spagni, but the world knows him as Fluffy Pony. And here to discuss how he got Fluffy and why a pony, not a full-blown horse, Ricardo or Rick, welcome to Bad Crypto. Thanks for having me, guys. I think that's actually the most important question is how did you come up with the name Fluffy Pony? Are you a um, uh, My Little Pony enthusiast? I am not. Uh, I think the last episode of My Little Pony I watched was when I was like 12. Um, it, it was a nickname that was given to me uh, by some two girls that I worked with at one of my first like proper jobs. And I tried to shed it over the years and it just stuck. So eventually I realized it's better to embrace it than to try and fight it. 
He's not going to shed it. He's going to shed it. No, that's what it sounded like. Did you say two girls gave that to you? I did. So, it was two, two gold, so, so you hung like a pony, but you're a little overweight. So they called you Fluffy Pony. <laughs> nice. And you're like, I'm going to embrace the shit out of this nickname. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so, so, so tell us, you know, like we, we've chatted about so many different projects on here, and it seems like it's, we've, we've chatted about Monero from time to time, but we've not had anybody on from Monero. So, you know, for folks who maybe are are stuck in a barn and don't have internet and have never heard about Monero all these years, tell tell the folks what is Monero and why is it significant? Good question. Uh, so Monero is a cryptocurrency that in some ways is similar to Bitcoin. It uses a lot of things that are um, based on the same technology. It has a blockchain, transactions of inputs and outputs. Uh, there's proof of work, but that's largely where a lot of the similarities end. Um, it's not based on Bitcoin's code base. So it's not a fork of Bitcoin like so many currencies are today. Um, it is its own code base that doesn't really borrow or inherit from um, much else out there. And uh, because of that, it, it's there's a bunch of design decisions that were taken by uh, Monero's creators that are a little bit different to, um, say, Bitcoin or Ethereum, uh, where the focus really is on privacy, uh, on preserving your financial privacy when you use Monero. So how does that happen, right? Because with Bitcoin, while we say it's anonymous, I know your wallet address, you know my wallet address, and anybody can go look at any wallet address. How does Monero fix that? So Monero does a couple of things um, that that uh, impact um, how much information you can suck out of it or how much information you can glean when looking at it on the block explorer. So the first thing is that uses something called stealth addresses and stealth addresses are used to hide where the transaction is going to. And this basically encrypts your address. So when you look at a transaction, a Monero transaction on a block explorer, you can see that transactions are going to these destinations. But even if multiple transactions were going to the same address, you wouldn't be able to tell by looking at a block explorer. You would need to decrypt all of those uh, those destinations. And that is, of course, like computationally very difficult to the point of impossible. So it's a dynamic address, essentially. Kind of, yeah. And, and there's, no, there's no correlation with your actual address. So um, you could go and paste your Monero address like in, in a, you know, on an open website and it wouldn't allow an attacker to figure out anything. They wouldn't be able to figure out what transactions uh, you were involved in or anything like that. So that's so really does that mean massively powerful. If, uh, you know, let's say all the uh, worst case scenario, the governments of the world say cryptocurrency is outlawed, but Monero's truly unstoppable. Is that accurate? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously there's, that's a very nuanced topic. But yeah, in terms of them being able to say an attacker, whether it's a state grade attacker or otherwise, being able to say, Joel, you put this address up on Twitter, this Monero address up, and we know that you've used Monero because we can link it back to transactions. That part is impossible, um, at least you know computationally impossible. Even if they had all the world's computers like tied together and they were trying to crunch away at that, it would like take them all the way until the heat death of the universe to figure it out. The the depths of the universe, that's pretty that's pretty deep. That seems like a challenge for sure. So I mean cuz 
we we've had we've had you know what's interesting is we've we've had some conversations about about privacy and especially as more you know countries start picking up and creating their own cryptocurrency there's talks about the IMF you know maybe creating their own currency and and they're kind of leading us towards crypto kind of you know slowly adopting it that way eventually they can have their own you know mainstream cryptos that's fully tracked and fully you know they they can keep an eye on us like where they're like there were a herd of cattle and pay attention to every single thing that we do but with monero you're not able to do that now one of the conversations that we'd had with somebody i think we had chatted with g edward griffin and he said that he thinks the eventual end goal of crypto is that one world currency where all the cryptos are going to come through like one funnel of some sort and be trackable he, he had this idea around that, which it sounds like that's their, their their kind of goal. But it seems to me like the way that that Monero transactions are encrypted and just completely private, it seems like it, they would have a difficult time completely tracking anything that we do, even if they're trying to put all crypto transactions through one funnel. Is that, Absolutely. That, that, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's there's other aspects to Monero's privacy. I mean, I don't want to like, you know, spend half an hour like detailing all of it. But the, the point really is Monero does what it can to maximize privacy or maximize privacy rather, while still making it really accessible and uh, and kind of not CPU intensive. So you can still build transactions on a mobile phone and that sort of thing. And what, what you've ultimately got is a cryptocurrency which is fairly widely used, obviously, you know, relative to Bitcoin, not so much, but relative to others, it's it's quite broadly used. And uh, it's the, and it's the so, most widely used of the privacy coins. It is, yeah. absolutely. And, and the yeah. thing with privacy is, like, think about it. With privacy, you want to be lost in the crowd. Now, if the crowd's only 10 people, like, how much lost in the crowd are you really going to be doing? You know, you want to be lost in a crowd of thousands at least, maybe tens or hundreds of thousands. And that's, I think, more than technology, um, because there's lots of nuances between different privacy coin offerings from a technological perspective. Monero's main um, feature is it provides strong privacy with a very large user base so that you can really get lost in the crowd. So, you know, obviously, when we're talking privacy, uh, on the one hand, we love it because we love privacy. On the other, we know that there's probably people who are using Monero for illicit purposes, right, to evade the law. I'm just curious what your personal thoughts are on that. Um, you know, this is a it's a really interesting topic. Um, it's a topic that comes up quite often. So I, I've sort of the way I crystallize my thoughts is, is as follows. When you go to the, the public restroom and uh, you go into a stall, you close the door. Now, you could. I, I don't. I yeah, leave well, it open and let, most, let everybody you know. I mean, Come on, in. certainly bold, uh, but but most people close the door. Now, you're not closing the door because you're plotting to overthrow the government in there, or you're not closing the door because you're building a bomb. You're closing the door because you're using the loo, and it's kind of awkward to have a bunch of people staring at you whilst you're taking a dump. And you know, I I don't know because Travis, when he goes to the bathroom, he is building a bomb. I, I know. <laughs> Literally or literally, <laughs> figuratively. Yeah. Do not go in there, fluffy pony. I'm just warning you in advance. <laughs> Thank you for the warning. I mean, like, I'm glad we, I'm glad we covered that. 
But the, the point really is like for most people, privacy is just something that um, comes naturally. You know, they have curtains in their home. They close the, the door when they use a public restroom. They probably close the door when they use the restroom at home if there are other people around. And that's normal. It's a natural state of being. We, we don't go and publish our financial records on Twitter. You know, even if we think we're rich and want to brag about it, we still don't do that because it's our private information. Well, and if you do brag about it during a live stream, then everybody comes and steals all your crypto. Well, that, you know, that's, that's, a, so, so there's, there's, that's legitimate use <laughs> to privacy, right? Yeah. Like in terms of, of defending. And, and so, and we can all acknowledge that. And I think that it's become, we, we've just been beaten down from a privacy perspective and grown, like we've almost grown accustomed, um, like we've grown this like hard shell um, because of all of our data being out there all the time where every other week it's like, oh, your data is now in another hack because you happen to have an account on whatever this website was and they got owned. And we've just got, we've like, we've just grown shell shocked. You know, it's like, oh, all your recordings from Alexa are being listened to by randoms at Amazon, including you like sleeping with your wife. I mean, it's like, we're just so used to it. We're like, oh, that's okay. I know that happens. Oh, my, my camera, you know, was recording me all the time. And like, that's all online. That's okay. But we shouldn't be like that. We shouldn't accept this stuff. We should fight against it because it's our personal lives and our personal information and our personal data. And we shouldn't be putting this stuff up on Facebook. And we shouldn't be allowing all these devices in our home to record us all the time because it's convenient to be able to say, hey, Siri, please order me a pizza. That is so true. Which, which by the way, you just ordered a bunch of them for listeners <laughs> right now. Sorry. <laughs> But it's, you know what I mean? It's like, we've just, it's it's so crazy that we've just like, like, okay, George Orwell's 1984 fascinates me as a novel because it's all about a loss of privacy, really, and, and the consequences of that. But the loss of privacy came from the government sticking devices in people's homes. And we've now faced the same loss of privacy, except instead of the government sticking microphones in our home, we stick the microphones in our home and we go, hey, Alexa, and hey, Google, and hey, Siri. And oh like, my gosh, you're setting off all the devices. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget, hey, Google. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but I mean, the, the, you know, like, it's just, it's just nuts to me. And it's, it's, we shouldn't, we, we should push back on it. And I think that that's why tools like Monero and, uh, and Samurai Wallet and uh, Tor and uh, Signal and Wire and even WhatsApp, all of these tools are privacy enhancing um, to a greater or lesser degree, and uh, and we should be using them. Um, and, and oftentimes we are using them, but we should be using them more. Mm. Now, do you think it's just a, just a, a, just an evolution of folks just have been dumbed down so much they just are so willing to trust all of this? Because if I have an Amazon, I've been I've been given two different Amazon dots, those Echo dots from different events that I've spoken at. Like here, have an here have a have a spy thing in your house. Like oh, thank you, appreciate that. And, but I always keep, if I have one turned on, I always have it, you know, muted. So it can't hear me, but here's the thing. I have an iPhone and so Siri's listening and I, I, the TV that I have has actually, I have Xfinity. And so I have a microphone that I can press and speak into it to tell it to do TV shows. And so, you know, there's these microphones all over the place that are listening. Why are we so comfortable with that? I don't know. Cause we're nuts because we, cause we want the convenience and um, and that's the I think what what people have gotten used to is 
um, the convenience that the internet has brought. I mean, when was the last time that someone told you something and you were like, that doesn't sound right. And you didn't go look it up on Wikipedia. I mean, like you, you go look that stuff up because you, you know, you've got the internet on your phone. It takes you three seconds to prove the person wrong, which is of course what we all want to do in that conversation. Um, and, and it's, I think we've just fallen prey to convenience good, thus corporations providing convenience good. And it hasn't helped that Google has provided some excellent services, including their search engine and Gmail and so on. They provided amazing services over the years for free. And, and we've just gone like, oh, great, free email. That's actually really good. Yes, of course, I'm going to use that and totally forget about the fact that Gmail is harvesting my data and selling it to the highest bidder. Yeah, screw those guys. Uh, that's, you know, actually why Travis and I have switched to DuckDuckGo for a search engine and uh, Brave Browser uh, instead of using Chrome because Google is all about them and they could care less about us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I mean, I must say Firefox is doing really good things on the, pri on the privacy spectrum as well. Um, Startpage does a great job of giving you Google's search results without um, letting Google track you. So there's, you have options, you know, uh, ProtonMail um, and uh, Tutanota and other private mail providers are really good. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I'm a sucker for the convenience too. I use G Suite um, at, at the office. You know, we can't get away with, get away from it yet. Uh, we, you know, we're trying to, but like the, the open source or on-prem options are limited. And, and it is a battle. It's really a mindset change to go, I'm going to eschew this thing that's super comfortable and I'm going to force myself to use the thing that might take a bit of a learning curve or might cost me $10 a month or whatever it is because I value my privacy that much. You know, you've also built a little bit of a reputation around yourself being troll level five. Um you know, on Twitter, especially, you like to call out people that you disagree with and have no problem speaking your mind. And the one I'm really thinking of here is Dr. Craig Wright, uh, who goes by AKA Prof Faustus on Twitter. And, you know, I, I just, what are your thoughts on him beyond fake Toshi? I mean, so look, I, I, I've been in the InfoSec space for a long time. Um, you know, I've I've gone to every other DevCon for a, a very long time, and uh, been going to CCC for a lot as well. So I'm, you know, I know a lot of people in the infosec industry and in the infosec space, and you you know when people, at least like in that in that space, are on the level. Um, they they talk the talk. Um, they are typically, I mean, you get some show hackers, okay, who just want to like you know, show off how they're able to pwn this and pop the other. But in general, a lot of the guys and girls and non-binary people in InfoSec are pretty humble. Um, they, you know, they, they'll say things during a talk like, and then we realized we weren't really sure what we were doing. And so we set about figuring it out. And it's true. They, you know, that, that part of the appeal of InfoSec is going into an environment and like or discovering something and realizing you actually don't know enough and then setting about learning. And Craig seems to be the exact opposite of that. There's like zero humility. There's just this constant bragging about his knowledge and about his skills and about his wealth and whatever. And, you know, 
on the on the face of it, at least based on stuff that he's published that I've read, he doesn't. Ha- he's not on the level. You know, he he wouldn't be able to talk on the main stage at, at DefCon about anything. Um, he wouldn't be able to talk on any of the stages at CCC, and uh, he'd be laughed off. And that that I think really is above everything. That that to me is the most frustrating. That it's not about him pretending to be Satoshi because that that is just you know I think that there's a psychological issue there that he's not going to move beyond. Um, he's just doubling down and doubling down, and he's convinced. Himself well, what, what's the game there? What do you think he really believes it? Are we talking? You know, in your opinion, is this mental illness or? Is it a, a? Is he trying to perpetuate intentionally a fraud? I, or let, let me ask this: Does it come down to the David Kleiman thing, and then that other guy that they were working with, that Paul Salachi guy? That because it, it seems like because if you look at the the court the 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 court records and all the information that was popping out, you know the the Kleiman case, and and then there was this gentleman by the name of Paul Salachi Calder or whatever. And this guy's like a mastermind dude who's like a was like a top, you know, dev and and he invented the he invented some types of encryption. And now he's he's been in jail since 2012. But there's been some connection between Wright and this climbing guy. Is that is that something that's been on your radar? Have you went down that yeah. rabbit hole? Yeah, absolutely. So so I mean, like um, uh, the, the Paul Paul Calder thing is kind of interesting. Um and it's certainly possible. I mean, it's it's something that that I've considered that uh, that Paul was the creator of, of Bitcoin, and there was some peripheral link to Craig, which, if true, is kind of scary because Paul is like straight up criminal mastermind. I mean, he's like, you know, one of those evil characters from. A- he's like a Bond villain, dude. Like he's totally literally like, like yeah. crazy. Dude is crazy. So like, I mean, if if um, if Craig had any peripheral connection to him, that's just frightening. Um, not not frightening in a good way, just frightening in that like, you know, that that's not a circle you want to play in. But but at any rate, yeah, that certainly crossed my mind, and that there's um, that part of it has has been to try and and gain access to to uh, Paul's money or Paul's crypto or whatever. Um, the other thing that I that I've considered is maybe it's just like you know it started off with small white lies and then it just got away um, from him and. You know, he's sort of like he had people throwing money at him to um, uh, to to uh, in expectation of him being Satoshi, and so now he's kind of like built up a lifestyle. And like, where do you go from there? I mean, you can't back down. You can't disappear. Um, you've got people invested not in a product, but you've got them invested in who you are as a person or who you're claiming to be, and and what what your supposed accomplishments are. And I think that there's when you when you get that deep down into the hole, I don't know if you can dig yourself out. Not easily. Interesting stuff. You know, I I reached out to him recently. He was on the show once before, probably about a year ago or so. I want to say, and we were interested in maybe having a debate. You know, perhaps having him and Roger Ver or somebody else, and and I asked if he would be interested in participating in a debate. He says no debate is necessary uh sv is original bitcoin period that was it uh, he he won't even debate it with anybody and and that's it's a, a level of arrogance that seems unhealthy in my opinion yeah he yeah, can, eat a, bag of, he can eat a bag of dicks i think bag of satoshi's vision everybody 
<laughs> everybody, everybody seems to be in consensus here. We've reached consensus. Uh, eat a bag of dicks, Craig Bright. Um, so I, I want to actually, I want to talk about this because here's one thing that I've experienced. So I, I've over my years of being on the internet, I've created a couple of sites that have you know had a positive impact on the world, and then I've just been hacked. Right? I had this one site called Cultivate Greatness, and I had 900 articles that I wrote on there, personal development stuff. You know, this was in the early 2000s, and then somebody came in and just destroyed my database and just, just totally wrecked it, right? Because like, hey, we don't want to cultivate greatness. This is good for the world. We don't want that. It just seems like if you're doing good stuff, you end up getting hacked or people are trying to target you. And so that's what I wonder about, you know, last month back in November, the official Monero site was hacked and it was just, it, apparently it was, it was distributing that malware that was doing that crypto stealing. What is that true? What happened with that whole thing? Because it sounds like Another instance of somebody, you guys doing good stuff and getting hacked by somebody trying to bring you down. Yeah, that's definitely uh, an, in, an interesting thing that happened. So uh, basically, um, the Monero uh, website was was hacked and served malware for about 35 minutes. Um, it was picked up pretty quickly. It was uh, patched pretty quickly. Um, or it was moved to, to a DR environment. And it's given us a, the the chance or, or given us a bit of a wake-up call in terms of how, how we secure things. We thought we were doing a pretty good job, like clearly we weren't. Um, and, and clearly we needed, we, we underestimated the level of sophistication of um, a lot of the people that are interested in, uh, in Monero as a target. Um, I mean, to, to, go, to go to the effort of building a, uh, a set of bad binaries, a set of poison binaries, um, and, and it, you know, hack the site and distribute them, knowing that it's going to get picked up pretty quickly. I mean, that's a that's a very narrow target. And we had like file integrity monitoring and all sorts of stuff, and they managed to bypass that. So mm. we're not talking about amateurs. We're talking about sophisticated, uh, resourceful attackers who um, might have had access for a, relative, a, a relatively long period of time. Um, you know, they might have gained access and then still gone and like built binaries and so on, um, or, or waited until the new release came out so that they would be able to maximize impact. Um, so there's, it, it's, uh, it has, it's what's really given me a bit of a wake up call, um, in terms of, uh, how many people are poking around, um, at Monero, not just poking around at the source code or poking around at, um, you know the the technology behind it, but there are people who are poking about the the network, poking about the ecosystem, mm. trying to see how they can exploit it, how they can break things, and um, it's it's good and bad. You know, I mean, it's good because like for for the most part, a lot of the, a lot of the times, and stuff like this happens that the damage is uh, relatively small, um, and uh, you know we, we've got a, a very strong, very active, very responsive community with stuff like this. Um, and so it makes you stronger, but at the same time, it's always like, like each time, it's, each time stuff like this happens, whether it is, um, you know, something small or something big, it shocks you. You're like, wow, mm. I had Pain no idea that, too. that could even happen. Yeah. No, let me, let me ask this because I mean, over the years we've seen, you know, that malware seems to like increase on people, more and more websites. Do you have any kind of statistics? Like what percentage of Monero mining is happening due to that malware being on people's browsers or being on people's websites out there? Any idea? 
Yeah, there was a study done recently um, on uh, the Monero hash rate and origins of it and so on. And I, I think I stand to be corrected, but it was sub 5%. Uh, they they found that, uh, and this was um, pre-RandomX, so the, the previous proof-of-work algorithm, and I think they got to like 3.5% or 3.7% or something like something around that um, is from malware. So it, it's certainly a small percentage um, of Monero's overall hash rate, which is not surprising. I mean, you know, the, large, the, the uh, bulk of Monero's hash rate comes from professional miners who have low electricity costs and are doing it to make profit. Um, and there's a small minority of, you know, which is made up of like botnets and, uh, and malware and so on. Um, and I don't think that there's, you know, there's, there's no real sort of quick fix for this um, without embracing ASICs, which uh, is something that I've wanted to do, but that the Monero com- and, and some others have, but the, the uh, most of the Monero community don't want to do. And so we have to accept that there's always going to be until, until that changes, we're always going to have a small portion of the hash rate that is mined by malware and botnets and so on. So the Monero project has a lot of support from community. And I remember when I first learned about Monero, there was really just the desktop wallet. And I recently downloaded the Cake wallet, which I think is is pretty darn cool. I'm wondering, what is your favorite method of storing and transacting XMR? I mean, I'm I'm a hardcore um, command line wallet user, so like that's kind of my my preferred way um and i certainly don't expect everyone else to use that um it's just my preference uh, how can somebody so fluffy be so hardcore I mean, it's just, it's, it seems opposite well, well, you've been in the game as long as i have yeah yeah it's like it, it's like dos you know it's like going back to the beginning yeah that's great for user adoption fluffy everyone's gonna be able to do that <laughs> I've, I've joked about I've joked about that about like you know we should make all the users use the command line wallet that I mean that joke generally doesn't apply well um, but yeah practically speaking I'm I mean I'm not oblivious to the fact that people struggle to use um, Bitcoin they certainly struggle to use Monero and uh, that we need to do better from a, a user experience perspective um, and there are people in the in the ecosystem that are working on it uh, we're working on it at Atari Labs. Um, to try and and improve um, uh, Monero's user experience um, and the user experience of uh, of cryptocurrency in general, um, and I, I think that there's certainly some low hanging fruit and some things that we can do. But ultimately, this is you know like the internet sucked in in the '90s um, to use. It was you know slow. It was complex. Uh, like NCSA Mosaic was like the worst browser in existence. Um, but you didn't have a choice. And we're kind of there, you know, right now with cryptocurrencies. It's it's going to get better, but it's going to take time. So you refer back to, you know, the beginning of the Internet. And I, I like to get people's opinions on uh, where they think we are year-wise when compared to the launch of the web. You know, this interview is taking place at the end of 2019. And what Internet year is it right now? Um, I would say that we're probably like 97, 98. Um, you know, we, we haven't, I mean, there's some cool stuff that's out there. There's some genuine, like, you know, usage and utility. Um, there's some people that are starting to really rely on it for work and for school and whatever. Um, there's a lot of research attention. 
but we haven't really hit that like critical mass where um where it, people just embrace it where companies are built on it um big companies i mean we have some like coinbase but that doesn't really count because a company like coinbase is actually half built on crypto and half built on fiat um but like pure crypto companies uh which i guess uh companies like samurai wallet um companies like bitrefill um to some degree um a lot of those companies that are more sort of pure crypto and less let's put our feet in both sides of the pond uh, which is like what exchanges do um those companies are not really big like you know paypal or like or paypal was in the the early 2000s um or like google was um, and became and and in fact if you really look at like usage stats of things like ask jeeves and um a lot of the the early search engines um like even like yahoo um like their usage their the daily active users and you know monthly search search results and that sort of thing i mean they they were pretty high even in like, like 97 98 um alta vista as well and and so i think we like crypto is really in its infancy and we we like tend to live in a little bit of a, of a microcosm a little bit of a bubble uh, you know you you follow like 100 people or 200 people on twitter who are all basically into crypto and then it just seems like there's this massive audience but there isn't you know i i mean it's there really isn't if we if there are i mean if they're like five to ten million daily active users worldwide of cryptocurrency in general i'd be surprised it's I like my bubble Tony. oh don't burst my bubble no, but it's good. It's good. It's because it, it means that we're so early that A, we can make mistakes. B, we can deal with like terrible user UX that we're going to improve. Um, and C, man, when this thing kicks off, it is going to kick off in a big way. I can tell you right now that kids that are born today are not going to have bank accounts when they're older. They're going to have cryptocurrency wallets. Why would they need a bank account? Right. And it is interesting, uh, Rick, when you when you look at who the the crypto unicorns are now, right? It's like there was a there was an article on uh, crypto briefing that we covered not long ago on a bad news, and you know Bitmain's the number one uh, highest valued crypto company at twelve billion dollars, and you know that's an actual company with actual revenue. And it's interesting when we went through that ICO craze, how here are all these companies that are just a vision and just a code and some white paper, maybe not even any code you know, generating millions of dollars and having hundreds of millions of dollars of valuation and they, they hadn't done anything. And so it was just it was just so interesting to watch. I mean, if you go through the top 10, I'll do that counting down. Canaan Creative, I guess, is a Bitmain type of hardware sales business. Bitmex is number number nine. Binance, they were at $2 billion a year. Block One, Circle, Kraken, Ripple, uh, Robinhood, Coinbase, and Bitmain are the top 10. You know, Ripple being the only currency but that's very that's debatable i'm not a big fan of ripple at all but most of them are it's it's interesting it's in well and then block one obviously with eos but most of those are companies that are like you know they're helping grow the crypto space they're not necessarily crypto you know they're not a coin they're uh, you know it's sort of like how in the in the 1840s in california where they had that gold rush the people who made the money were the ones that had the picks and the shovels, and we're selling to the miners, just like here's the one that's the wealthiest right now is the one that's selling the mining equipment to the miners, Bitmain, right? And so it's interesting to see 
how the space is evolving currently at the end of 2019. And I would su- suspect that over the next year, there'll be some more companies that are that are rising up and becoming unicorns. It's just it's just interesting watching this whole space evolve, huh? Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I mean that that uh, selling picks and and shovels to the miners thing is the most fascinating th- um, thing to observe, because I like when I got into the space in like 2011, early 2011, I um I sort of hypothesized inside myself after playing around with mining and and like building some very horrible um, GPU rigs in plastic baskets that um, that was like where the real money would be made. Uh, and I try to do some stuff in that space. Um, I, I had a little company called Open Rigs, which made flat, packable, stackable um, GPU mining frames. And uh, that did okay for a while, but shipping from South Africa was just prohibitively expensive or prohibitively slow, which kind of, you know, was the death knell for that. Um, but it it's still like, I, I still believe that that is definitely where um, a lot of money is going to be made in this space is on these peripheral services. Um, at least now, but later on, you know, when, when things start to kick off, then a lot of the plumbing that's being built now, those companies are going to be massive. And into the future we go. And part of your contribution to that has been, you've been the lead maintainer of Monero for, uh, well, since the beginning, since 2014, but the news that came out recently says you are stepping down from that role. Why? And what happens now? Well, I think like I, I realized sort of 2017 or so that I was um, in some ways a single point of failure because there were a lot of people um, that could step up and do things, but they didn't feel the need to because I was doing it. So I was like the lead maintainer across multiple projects, the the core Monero CLI, the Monero GUI, the Monero website project, um, and so on. And, um, and it was just, it was crazy and it was really getting a bit much as well. Um, from a time perspective, like, you know, release engineering, um, the, the uploading all the binaries, like getting the DNS records set so that you get notifications and blah, 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 all this stuff. Um, and it was just too much. And so like sort of early 2018, I stepped back as the lead maintainer on the GUI and on the website handed those off to people. And we've sort of been seeing how it goes over the last um, year and a half, two years. And now's the right time. I mean, I said back in 2018 that like uh, it was, you know, that was the first step in me eventually um, pulling back and letting other people step up to the plate. And so this is just sort of the next step in it. I'm not disappearing. I'm not, um, I'm not going to stop being a maintainer, but I'm just going to stop being the lead maintainer. Um, And I think that that's, uh, that's, a, a pretty good way to allow others to step up to the plate um, to prevent me from being a central point of failure or uh, prevent me from being the bus factor um, and really just um, just further decentralize Monero um, not only in in spirit or in you know what we claim but in actuality in how it's developed and how how who's responsible for what that makes a lot of sense are you sad? Are you glad you're going to free up some time? Sounds like you're going to be free up, free up some time and and be able to relax a little bit. Yeah, look, I mean, absolutely. Like the, you know, the, I went through a period for probably about three and a half, four years, maybe longer, no, closer to five years where like if I didn't log into IRC 
uh, once a day, I would start to panic that maybe something bad had happened and like, you know, like I wouldn't be told about it because RSC is really the hub of, of Monero's activity. Um, and, uh, and so that really did get a bit much, um, the 2015 and 2016 in particular, I was pulling 16 hour days, like solely on Monero, um, you know, much to my wife's dismay. And so there's like, like I am looking forward to having to, to have to sort of take my foot off the gas a little bit with that. Um, but also more importantly, there's a lot of stuff that, that I can do for, um, Monero and for the Monero ecosystem, um, with Tari that I couldn't do as a maintainer. And so I'm trying to focus more efforts on that, um, because someone else is taking over as lead maintainer. So, you know, like that frees me up to do this other, this other stuff, like for example, being able to work on, um, uh, providing funding for more people to work on Monero, like being able to improve the, um, Monero user experience. These are all things that I can do now. That's great. Maybe spend some more time on the magical crypto friends. Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys know about this or not, but Charlie Lee, Samson Moe, uh, Fluffy Pony here and Whale Panda have a, have a show called Magical Crypto Friends. You can follow them on Twitter at Magical Crypto. You guys also had a conference last year, right? Yep, and we're doing it again next year. Nice. Magical Crypto Con. Uh, when is that going on and where? It's going to be in New York um, on May the 9th and 10th um, at Convene. And uh, if you want more details, you can visit MagicalCryptoConference.com. Um, and that's we're during hoping... consensus week. Yeah. Say again, that's consensus during week. Cons yeah. During, yeah, New York blockchain oh. week and consensus. Yeah. yeah so, right. so consensus uh, blockchain week, New York is, is like right after that. Um, mother's day is on the 10th. So, you know, if, if that's a thing that you celebrate, then bring your mom, um, you know, like she will enjoy it. Bring the whole family. We had like a chill area and games and all sorts of stuff last year. Um, kids had a lot of fun. We're going to have, you know, uh, lots of stuff this year or uh, next year as well um, for that. So yeah, May 9th and 10th, 2020 in New York, um, you know, get tickets like now whilst you still can. And uh, it's going to be a hoot. That's fantastic. Uh, all the links for this interview in the show notes, gang, make sure you check them out at badcryptopodcast.com. But the main site for Monero is getmonero.org and the conference, Magical Crypto Conference, dot com is the place to go ricardo mr pony of fluff thank you so much for coming on today and publicly sharing about privacy and thanks so much for having me guys it was great yeah ricardo is one nice dude smart guy too interesting fellow you know what i mean we need to have privacy in the crypto world we need transactions to be private i mean that's that was the initial vision of satoshi and bitcoin doesn't you know, it's clearly not anonymous. So Monero's out there doing some really cool stuff. Glad to chat with him finally. Absolutely. Good stuff. Also good stuff. Upland.me. Have you guys checked it out yet? Really I one yeah, I know you have, but you know, as far as crypto games go, and uh it, it is probably one of the nicest developed sites right it really it feels gamified it feels like hey there's really these guys have put a lot into this they you know they got investors on it and uh it just it looks super slick and you can log in the revolution is on its way and you can basically buy sell trade 
virtual properties. Right now, they're just in the San Francisco Bay Area, but pretty soon it's going to be launching out into New York City. And then other cities are going to be looking for ambassadors in cities around the world. So if you feel like ambassing is, you know, in your DNA, then that could be another reason to check this out. Join the waitlist by going to upland.me and you could be one of the first to buy exclusive digital real estate. Cool stuff. Thanks, Upland, yeah. for sponsoring the show. Yeah, I love it. It's it's getting better all the time. Like they just had an update and then another update. So I like what they're doing. I like the direction they're going. I don't think that it's fully baked yet, but they are working on some really cool new features on this thing and adding new gamification stuff to it all the time. So cool deal. It's getting better all the time. It's getting better. 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 All right, John. Well, gear fab and all that. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Bad Crypto Podcast. I'm Paul. Sir Can you Paul. believe it's 2020, mate? Can't I can't. I can't believe it. I'm still singing. John, you're dead, though, mate. That's true. To the bottom of the bottomest. Both, both myself and Ringo still going strong, but it just feels like yesterday. We need to come together and stay bad. The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.